For the rest of us, let's get our Bibles out this morning. We're in Philippians chapter 3, working our way through Philippians. Paul is still under arrest. He's still being led around. He's still in chains. He's still lost his liberty, but he's still overflowing with joy. Anybody have joy this morning? Amen. Anyone been in a hard time where your joy dried up? Let me raise my hand. Amen. Paul's showing us some things here, how to maintain our joy in the hardest of life circumstances. And he still has zeal for God. He still has a heart for the people of God. He's still excited about writing to the churches. He, he loves these Philippians. They love him. And in chapter 3, we catch up with Paul just making some powerful statements here. We're going to read verses 17 through 21. In just a minute, as you get there, I'm going to just thank God for the word and jump right in. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the scripture that you've given us, 66 books that all point to Jesus from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, Lord, you reveal the Christ that you sent for us. And Father, we pray this morning as we look at chapter three here, Lord God, the Apostle Paul, that the gems and the principles and the, the things that you've tucked in here for those that seek you with their whole heart that you'd reveal them to us and that by the Holy Spirit you'd drive them deep in us so that they would change the way we think and live. So on Monday we could live what we heard on Sunday, Lord, that we would be not hearers only but doers, and we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, Paul speaking, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ whom will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even subject all things to himself. Now, in those few verses, there's a lot of promises. There's a lot of encouragement, and we're going to unpack those today. Verse 17, Paul starts off by making a statement that would really be hard for most Christians to make without feeling a little bit of hypocrisy. Paul basically says, Follow my example. In other places in Scripture, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul is saying, I'm an example of what to do. You can safely do what you see me do. You can say what you hear me say. You can walk how I walk. You can live how I live. I'm an example of what a Christian man is, and you can follow it. Now, if we're being honest, that's a little sobering because that's a hard statement to make that, you know, you, you, you could say to people, whatever I do, you do. How many times in life you're having a hard enough time in life that you not only didn't want people to do what you were doing, you don't want anybody to know what you were doing, right? Or you're walking around and you have no idea what you're doing. And Paul's saying, I, I'm an example. You can follow my example. You can follow me as I follow Christ. I, I, I am, you know, a living prototype, an example of what a godly man or woman should be. Now, it should be our life goal for all of us to be able to make a statement like that and, and, and to be able to make it with complete confidence. 
That should be our life goal, amen? And people who know that they're not a good example often say certain things, and we're going to talk about two of them today, but if you know you're not a good example and you can't say, follow my example or follow me as I follow Christ, people kind of default to, uh, you know, what's just underneath that, and people say, just learn from my mistakes. Have you ever been around somebody who said, said, don't do what I'm doing, but just learn from my mistakes? And, you know, many times... We're at that place where we've made mistakes and people know we've made mistakes. And instead of pretending we didn't make mistakes, we could say, would you please learn from my mistake? And you know what? That's a good thing. Learning from the mistakes of others is probably the most wise way to learn. Here's a newsflash for some of us this morning. You don't have to learn everything in life the hard way. Anybody? Anybody? (laughs) Amen. Well, you know, uh, I just have, you know, I know that looks bad and that was a mess and that destroyed that family, but I'm going to give it a whirl. <laughs> you don't have to learn everything the hard way in life. You can look at other people and say, well, that, that I'm not doing that. Or uh, have you ever looked at someone and go, well, that, that's, you know, thanks for, you know, no thanks. I'm not, you know, and, and we're just like, we can learn from the mistakes of others. In fact, it's the wisest way to learn. Doing everything. There's some things you don't need to do to know that you shouldn't do them. Look, I've never smoked crack, but I don't need to do that because I've seen the effects it has. I, I, I've never been addicted to heroin, but I don't want to give that a try either, right? And we've got to get some wisdom in our head here. You know, too many of us are too arrogant. Well, you couldn't handle it, or that's not going to happen to me, or, you know, it didn't work for this generation, but it's going to, you know, it's kind of the same thing with socialism and communism. It's never worked, but we got a young generation go, well, let's give it a try. Foolishness, learning the hard way, not learning from other people's mistakes, but having to do everything ourselves and suffer the consequences and lose the time and waste the energy. And people say that, just learn from my mistakes. Now, I found out something in life a long time ago. God put some people in my life just to show me how not to do things. Anybody? I've worked with people. I've been under managers when I was coming up. I've worked since I'm 14 years old, got my working papers. My parents threw me out and go, go after it. So, you know, I work for all kinds of people. And some people, I'm like, Lord, why did you put me here under this person? With, you know, and, and God's like, just, just watch, just learn. Just learn what not to do. And I learned from, I mean, I worked in all kinds of situations, Pastor Mike, you know, construction. I've had hammers thrown at me. People have threatened to throw me off the roof and stuff. You know, what did I learn in that? How to be, you know, kind to others. (laughs) How to make people, you know, you just learn what not to do from some people. Don't question why, God, did you put me here? God, why, God, did you put me under this person? Why, God, did you let me be born here or or under this family or my parents? Listen, it's all part of the process. God is showing you things so you don't have to learn the hard way, so you can learn from other people's mistakes. And there'll be those who say, just, uh, you can't follow my example, but you know, learn from my mistakes, and that's a good thing. Still, there's another default setting even below that. There are people who say, I'm not a good example, but, you know, you can learn from my mistakes. And then there's others that say, just do as I say and not as I do. Have you ever heard that before? You know, that was the older generation. They, you know, back in my grandpa's days or whatever, you know, back then, they would just say, don't question me, just do what I say. And, you know, but you're doing the opposite, Pop. But you shut up and just do what I say. 
do as I say and not as I do. Now, not only is that not a good thing, like learning from others' mistakes, that's good. But, you know, the do as I say, not as I do paradigm, that's just, it's not only counterproductive, it's wrong, but it's totally ineffective. Do you know what someone does when you tell them, don't do what I do, do what I say? They do what you do. Anybody have children? Do they do what you say or do they do what you do? Come on, you faded off there. You're trailing off. I heard it. I heard, did they do what you say or they do what you do? Amen. They do. You know, you got a father who says, the kid, don't smoke cigarettes. And he's chain packing three packs a day. He's, you know, like, what's that kid going to do? Don't drink so much. You shouldn't drink. It's not good for you. And they're drinking, you know, all weekend long. What's that? What are the kids going to do? We follow the, the we, you know, it's, it's incredible being parents because it's so humbling. You know, you could have 10 good qualities and one negative quality, and guess which one passes most easily down to the next generation? Amen. You can see all the bad habits my parents had right in front of you. <laughs> there goes my birthday present. But you can't say to people, do what I say, not what I, it doesn't work. It, it, ha it has the boomerang effect. It, it does the exact opposite. You're better off not saying anything. Paul didn't say, do as I say, not as I do. He didn't say, learn from my mistakes. He said, follow my example. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's safe to do what I do and say what I say and live how I live. And that's what we should strive to be, examples of what a godly Christian man or woman should be. Our generation needs examples so badly. You know, we can do better than learn from my mistakes or do what I say, not what I do. But before we even dare think about telling another person to follow our example, uh, to let us be a role model, or like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, before we even dare think that a possibility, we better be living right. I got a few amens from the middle. The wings were quiet pretty much. You know, because this is where the rubber hits the road. We all like to, you know, tell other people what to do and how to live. But the thing is, we have to be living right before we can be an example to others. You know, why is that? Because if we're not living right, we are absolutely going to lead others. We're going to lead others, listen to this, into the ditches and the snares that currently have a grip on our own lives. If we're not living right and other people are following our example, it's going to lead them into the ditch. Now, on Wednesday, they clap when I take a drink, so let's see if we can. And this is just to eliminate the awkwardness. I'm not, this is not ego food for me. I'm just trying to cover up my gurgling, so. But um, the ditches and the snares that we bring people into are, are the ones that we're stuck in ourselves, so we got to be living right. Free people can free people. Let me say that again. Free people can free people. <clears throat> if you were on drugs and you got delivered from drugs and God set you free and you're walking in sobriety, you can help another person stuck in addiction get out of addiction. But if you're hooked and you're addicted, then you, you, you're not a candidate to help that person. Free people can free people. And so we've got to learn to live right and to, and, and to walk right and to do all the things God's called us to do. Now, listen, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 15, 14. Listen to the words of Jesus. He's speaking to the same old religious leaders of that generation 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He always had a clash with them. Listen to what he says about them in Matthew 15, 14. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall in the ditch. Remember the ditch I was telling you about? Remember the, the snare I was telling you about? If you're in the snare, you can only lead people into the snare. Uh, and it's what he's saying about the spiritual leaders of the day. He's saying they're blind and they're leading people around. They are spiritually religious and lost, yet they're to other people. They're like, follow our example. Oh, we're so pious. We're so holy. We keep the law. We know all the scriptures. We memorize the prophets. Be like us. And Jesus saying, you are blind and you're leading people into the ditch. Wow. So to be an example, we've got to be living right. It is so foolish for us to choose to follow uh, the, the examples or the role models of people who are ungodly. It's and I want to say this, be careful who you choose as a role model. Listen, be careful who you let inspire you. Be careful who you aspire to be like. This is powerful. When I was a young man going to this church way back, probably in the 80s, Nikki Cruz came and preached here. How many people remember Nikki Cruz? Amen. Wow, the whole generation don't know Nikki Cruz. Or the old people just don't have the strength to clap. I don't know. But Nikki Cruz, an incredible evangelist, uh, the cross and the switchblade, wrote a great book, man of God. I believe he's still alive. Yeah, Nikki's still going. But he came here, and uh, he was preaching, and he said, I went into, he had a heavy Spanish accent. I love it. He said, I went into my son's room or my daughter's room. I can't remember. And he said, in there they had a poster of Michael Jackson. And so I went in. Now, now the hush falls over the crowd. And I went in, he said, and I tore the poster of Michael Jackson down, and I put a poster of me up. <laughs> and I never forgot that, because you know what he was saying there? is like, if you're going to follow an example, that's not the example to follow. You're better off following me. Nikki was able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. But, you know, we want to follow the world's idols, the world's, you know, examples. And it's a foolish thing for us to follow men, to follow people. The only safe one we have to follow is Jesus himself. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is working on each of us who are born again, not to make better versions of ourselves, but to make us into the image of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's not trying to build a better Rick. I mean, some, some buildings just need to be demoed, amen? And like, not even, you know, well, we can, you, we can save the frame. There's, the foundation's good. No, the whole thing's got to go. It's foolish to follow people's example. There's no one we can follow in everything. Here's a story about President Calvin Coolidge that shows the, fo the folly, the absolute folly of blindly following people, even if they have good character. One time, Coolidge invited some of his friends from Vermont to dine with him at the White House. So here they're going from, you know, the backwoods of Vermont there into the White House. His friends were so worried about their table manners that they had a meeting and collectively decided that they would just do everything that their host did. So they got to the table and everything was going fine until coffee was served. When coffee was served, Coolidge poured his coffee into a saucer. So his guests watched and they did the same. Then he mixed in cream and sugar in the saucer, and his guests did the same. Then he bent over and put it in front of his cat. And everybody went home. 
Now, I mean, you see, you can't follow people blindly like that. Do you know why you can't do that? Because sometimes we don't know what they're doing. They didn't know that was the cat. They're like, I guess this is the way they drink coffee in the White House. <laughs> no, the thing is, you, you can't follow the blind example of others. It's just, it's foolish. You know why? We don't know what people are doing. And let me, let me just clue you in to something. Sometimes people don't know what they're doing. Did you ever follow someone that doesn't know what they're doing? Do you ever follow someone that doesn't know where they're going? You know, you've been on a trip and you, you know, you turn around and recalculating and then you turn around again and then, and then they stop in the gas station and then they're talking, oh, what are we doing? You know, this happens to me at times. There's times I'm out at, you know, Lowe's or, you know, Home Depot and you're in those big box stores and you're trying to find something. Anyone ever been trying to find something in one of those places? And you see the people, they come by, they got their orange smocks on, and they see you, and, and they, they see that look on your face, and they run the other way, you know? They, they hide. They go in the back room, employees only. They're looking through the window. No, nobody wants to help you. And then you're walking around looking for this stuff. There's times I was out with Austin one time, and we're going down the aisle, and I'm looking, and I stop short, and he hits me from behind. And I'm like, back off, will you please? And then, then I'm turning around, and we're facing each other. I'm like, don't follow me. I don't know where I'm going. Go, go. Go stand by customer service. I'll catch up with you later. The worst thing is when you don't know where you're going and you got people following you. We can't follow people blindly. Sometimes they don't know where they're going either. But we can always safely follow Jesus. He's never confused. He's never lost. He's never wrong. We can follow him. Having said all that, verse 17 does encourage us to want to be a living example, to be a spiritual role model of what a godly Christian man or woman should be. Look, to our unsaved friends, we're the only Jesus that they're ever going to see. To those people who will never come to church and hear a message like this or sit through worship, we're the only Jesus they're ever going to see. Are we a good example? Are we, uh, you know, uh, are we imitating him enough, following him enough, serving him enough that we look like him, that they can at least get a glimpse of him through us? We should aspire to be like Jesus. We should aspire to be a role model uh, for those in our generation. Now, the world's role models are selected by a different criteria. The world's role models are selected over things such as outward beauty, exceptional skills, amazing accomplishments, and character doesn't really matter that much. You know, we idolize people who can do things well, amen? Because all of us, you know, we'd like to be that guy who, who hits the ball over the fence, who catches the touchdown pass. Or some of you going to watch, is there any football on today? I don't know. You know... You know, some of us want to be that guy who, you know, can put the ball through the, you know, three-pointers, nothing but net. And we're like, yeah, that's, you know, we're going to put that on a pedestal. We're going to, and, and, and then regardless of character, we, we aspire to be like that person. I've known sports figures that were like, hey, hey, I'm no role model. Don't follow me. I've seen some people, at least they were honest enough to say it. You see, in these sports leagues, I mean, it, it's, it's not the showcase of godly character all the drug use and steroid abuse and cheating and betting and gambling and spousal abuse and, and cheating on their spouses. If you, if you really pull back the curtain and see what goes on in these, these sports that we idolize, man, it, it's not godly. Now, nobody likes me. It's on football Sunday here. Uh, 
I watched golf by myself today. No, I'm just kidding. But, you, you know, for a Christian, it's, it's not about what we can do or what we've accomplished. It's totally about character. It's the exact opposite of the world. Look, and we're not supposed to put anybody on a pedestal. We only worship Jesus. He sits on the throne of our hearts, amen. We, we can enjoy sports and things and musicianship and all that stuff. That's all good, but we only worship the Lord, amen. Only he's worthy, and he's our example. He's our role model. For Christians, it's all about character. You know what the most important thing we need to be an example of who Jesus Christ is is spiritual authenticity. We've got to be real, not just religious, not just denominational, not just theological. We've got to be spiritually authentic, that we have a real relationship with Jesus, that we have a real prayer life, that we have a real desire to reach the lost, that we have a real love for the people of God. Spiritual authenticity is what we need. It's attractive to those around us in the church and to the lost. We need also to be transparent and disciplined and humble. We need to reach maturity, to to be consistent and have measurable fruit in our lives. Now, I know that was all tall order, and most of you tapped out on me because you're just looking at me like this. But this is what God asks of us, amen? Amen. And say it's impossible. No, the Holy Spirit's working in us to get us there, amen. Look, it's not impossible. With us, it's impossible. With the Holy Spirit, it's not, it's probable, amen. All we got to do is cooperate with him. Look, if you see what he's done with me and what he had to work with, I mean, come on, that should give you some hope. So here we are looking at Paul. He's telling us, you know, to follow his example. We want to aspire to be you know, that example that people can follow. And let me just say this, you know, we are all works in progress. Remember I gave that illustration about, you know, we're like the building with the scaffolding all around it. So none of us are perfect, say amen. We're works in progress. And and this may be true. Uh, For some of us being a role model material, uh, we're, we're just not there yet. And that's okay. You know, I, I'm just learning. You don't have to, you, you don't follow me. I'm, can you help me? You know, I'm, I'm not a role model yet, but, you know, you, uh, you, can just, you can just come alongside me and we can learn together. But don't follow me because I'm just learning. And that's okay if you're there. Now, if we are there and all of us are in some ways, you know, we need to just cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our life. And, and someday you never know who you inspire for Jesus Christ who can make a difference in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. So verse 17b continues here. You know, we had all that fun in a half a verse there. I mean, so brethren, join in following my example. And listen, and observe those who walk according to the pattern. Say pattern. Walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, he's talking about patterns, and he's saying patterns in us. The text mentions this concept of pattern. Now, what Paul is alluding to is, you know, this pattern that God has put in the people of God and has laid them before us as spiritual examples throughout the ages. You know, Hebrew says we have a great cloud of witnesses. What is that? That means we have a whole bunch of people who went before us, who paved the way, who laid the foundation of the gospel, who lived it out in the world. We have all these examples to follow that God gives us in scriptures. 
We have the patriarchs. We have Moses. We have Abraham. We have Isaac and Jacob to learn from their lives. We have the prophets. We have the judges. We have the godly kings of Israel. How many think you can learn some things from David's life? David is mentioned more in the Old Testament than any other Bible character. Why? Because God gives us his life as an example of things we should do, of things we shouldn't do. We can learn as much from David as we can learn from anyone else who's living right now because God has chronicled the truth of his life in his living word, and we can partake of that. It's amazing to me. Some people say, well, I I don't want to study the Old Testament. It's too confusing. Just preach out of the New Testament. I've had people tell me that before. The Old Testament is rich and full of all these godly examples, these types and shadows, these, you know, patterns for living that we can learn from. So here we are, and we're told to follow this pattern, and we have a great cloud of witnesses, and we have all these biblical examples. And we've already noted that Jesus is the safest example to follow. He's the prototype for us. When it comes to sensible, godly living, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to learn from those people who did it right ahead of us. God's not telling, well, you figure it out, Rick. You go in the corner and don't come out until you got it, and there's going to be a quiz, and if you don't pass... No, God opens the word. God, as we sit here week after week and the Holy Spirit pours it into us, we learn the patterns. We learn from the apostles' doctrine, the things that the early church did. It's all been laid out for us. It's not a mystery. None of us can sit there and go, well, I, you know, I thought I was supposed to, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, just lie and steal and curse and, uh, and drink on the weekends. I just thought that's the way. No, that's not the example we've been given. Some people look shocked. They say, Verse 18, Paul shows his heart, and it really begins to resemble Jesus. And we notice these transformations that have taken place in the Apostle Paul. He went from holding people's coats while they stoned Stephen to death to being brokenhearted for people who were lost. What an amazing transformation. Listen to verse 18. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping. Paul says, I'm crying over this. My heart is broken over this, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul is brokenhearted for those people. Maybe they, they were fellow Jews. Maybe they were Gentiles who rejected the gospel. Maybe there were people who were in the church and they quit the church, but for whatever reason, they turned back to the world or they refused the gospel. And now, instead of entertaining the gospel and, and accepting it and being saved, they've actually become enemies of the cross. Now, that's an interesting terminology to look at here what would make someone an enemy of the cross listen it's simple they simply preach a different gospel that ignores the true gospel of jesus christ the person who says well just be a nice person and just give to the poor and just you know join habitat for humanity and be spiritual and don't do this and don't do that and don't kill anyone and you'll go to heaven that's a different gospel that's not what the bible says with the person who says, well, Jesus was this and Jesus wasn't that and the Bible is wrong. And, you know, we got people in cults that say Jesus is, you know, Michael the archangel. We got people in cults that say Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. I'm talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And, and they're nice people. And, they're, 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 and we're, you know, we talked about that in first service. Some of them are the nicest people. They're more trustworthy than some Christians I know. Yet they're preaching a different gospel. 
And when you preach a different gospel to the exclusion of the truth, you become an enemy of the cross. And Paul says, my heart is broken for these people, these Judaizers and these legalistic people and these pagans that are refusing the free gift of salvation. And now they they are actively, you know, pushing back against the gospel to the point where they've become enemies of the cross. The counterfeit gospel preaches conversion without repentance, salvation without forsaking sin, symbolism over substance, ritual over righteousness. It's a lie, it's a trap, and it destroys souls. Paul's heart is broken and ours should be too. For people who are religious and lost, for people who are caught up in cults, for people who are just immersed in sin and don't even want to get out. To people who are addicted and like, I just want to live this way. Father, break our hearts for the hurting. Break our hearts for the lost. Break our hearts for those who need light in the darkness, who are deceived and who are stumbling towards a Christless eternity. Father, help us to help them, I pray in Jesus' name. Break our heart for what breaks yours and break our heart for what broke Paul's, I ask in Jesus' name. Verse 19 gives us four marks of those who preach a different gospel, and they're sobering. We were talking about this in the, uh, the music room back there a little bit about, you know, the world and how deceived and lost people are. You got people just preaching another gospel. You got, you know, people who are household names saying, Jesus can't save you. Get out of the church. Jesus already did save me. I'm not going anywhere. But listen to verse 19. Verse 19 gives us the marks of those who preach a different gospel because if you give yourself over to that, in the end, this is what will happen to you. It says, whose end is destruction. Does that sound fun? Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Verse 19, let's take a look at it. The first mark of someone who is giving themselves over to a counterfeit gospel is this, their end is destruction. There's no salvation in these worldly philosophies, in these pagan philosophies, in these cult philosophies. There's no salvation there. Only Jesus saves, amen. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. There's one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You don't get there by living a, you know, spiritual or having your little crystals or being, you know, uh, you know pr- praying to this one and praying to that one. That end leads to destruction, not all roads lead to God. You're, oh, you're not inclusive. You're narrow-minded. You, you know, you can say whatever you want. Listen, but Jesus is the way. And I won't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I won't say all roads lead to God, and I wouldn't dare deceive people because the end of that is destruction. Those in the world can puff their chests up and talk a good game and say this and that about Jesus, but in the end, they'll stand naked before Almighty God and give an account for their unbelief. And that's a fearful thing, Scripture says, for sinners to fall in the hands of an angry God. Number two, their God is their belly. Everybody touch your belly. Some of you won't be obedient. I'm not doing that. I like it, right, Pastor Mike? You say, I worked a long time for this, right? Dedication, commitment. So their God is their belly. What does that mean? That means that they're driven by carnal appetites. 
And the fact that, you know, what drives them is worldliness. You know, all these things that pleasure the body and sensual things and, you know, food and gluttony and sexual promiscuity and all this stuff. Their God is their belly. They're driven by sensual lusts. You say, why does that happen to the person who gives him over to self to a false gospel? Because when you exchange the truth for a lie, you live the lie. And the lie consumes you. And your belly, your lust, your flesh drives you to try and satisfy that thing that, you know, you want. But the, the, the sad thing is you can never satisfy those itches. It's never enough. It's never enough money. It's never enough success. It's never enough food. It's never enough immorality. If you've ever been caught in any of those things, you know they're not static. They get worse and worse and deeper and deeper and darker and darker. Come on, I'm preaching this morning. I'm telling you about the nature of sin. Don't play with it. It's not static. Well, I'll just, you know, I'll just do a little of this. I'll just scratch the surface. No, you won't. The minute the devil gets those hooks in you, he'll drag you deeper and darker, farther than you ever wanted to go, deeper than you wanted to go. You'll pay more than you ever wanted to pay. That's the nature of sin, whose God is their belly. Hmm. Run away from sin. Don't give yourself over to it. Don't give yourself license to do it. Number three, they glory in their shame. What's that all about? That's sinners reveling in sin. Yeah, the Bible says it's sin, but we're going to say, you know, it's good and you should do it. The Bible says it's immoral. We're going to say, you know, it's moral. It's a choice. It's a lifestyle. It's a this. You were born with it. We're going to make up all these things. We're going to say that, you know, the things that used to be shameful 50, 60 years ago, now we're going to do them in broad daylight. And if you don't like it, you're the problem. Glorying in sin, amen. Things that my grandfather's generation wouldn't even say out loud or plastered on public TV, walk down Main Street in a parade, and, and, and everybody's like, yippee! Reveling in sin. Yuck! What has happened to the world that we live in? You know, do we, do we even realize the magnitude of the shift that has taken place in just such a short time? Wow. I'm not a prude, and I'm not judgmental, and I, I have grace for people, and I don't jump down everyone's throat, but sin hurts my heart because I know it destroys souls, and I know God hates it because it destroys souls, and it destroys people, and it destroys families, and God loves people, and God loves souls, and God loves families who glory in their shame. The things that used to be sin, now they're perfectly acceptable and the problem is the church and all of those people that hold on to what the bible says and we need to get rid of them and eliminate them and ostracize them and make them irrelevant in the public square huh good luck good luck snuffing out the light good luck snuffing out the church that'll push back the gates of hell good luck in silencing the righteous let your light shine Love people, amen. Don't be a snotty little judgmental, you know what? Love people. Tell them God's got a better plan for your life. You might be hooked on that. You might think that's who you are, but God has a better plan. He has a plan to bless you and to prosper you, to give you hope and freedom, to make you part of the family of God. Number four, the fourth mark of someone who gives them over, self over to a counterfeit gospel is they're preoccupied with the world. Look at this here. It says, 
who set their minds on earthly things. You know, we have to pay attention to some earthly things, amen? You have to go to work. You have to pay the bills. You have to put food on the table. You got to do some stuff. God helps us, but we've got to do our part. But we can't be so immersed in worldly things that we forget spiritual things. And you know what? It's easy to do. And the mark of someone who has given themselves over to counter for gospel is, well, they've got nothing spiritually authentic to do. Why? Because they rejected the truth. So now everything they do is, is a lie, is, is shallow, is empty, is purposeless. But yet they're fully committed to it. Wow, what a sad way to live. Who set their minds on earthly things. This earth is passing away. This earth is not forever. There is a part of us that will live forever, and, and God will recreate the heavens and the earth, and he, it, all of that stuff, it's passing away. Why would we invest all of our eternity into something that's temporal? Yet the person who's rejected the gospel has no other alternative. And so they are completely worldly in everything they do and say and think. Verse 21 and 22, uh, 20 and 21, bring it in for landing here. I'm going to try and uh, set this thing out. Fasten your seatbelts, put your trays in the upright position. Strap your hats on. This is your captain speaking, that's right. So it says here in 20, for our citizenship, say citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven for which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state, oh, we're going to talk about this, into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even subject all things to himself. So first of all, it says that we have a different citizenship. And there's a few marks of here. You know, we talked about the marks of someone who gives them over self to a counterfeit gospel. Well, what about the person who holds fast to the true gospel, the authentic believer? Well, number one, the first mark is that they're aware that their citizenship is not here, but it's in heaven. When you came to Jesus and you got born again, you traded in your citizenship on earth here for one that's eternal, a heavenly citizenship. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen. And that's good news, amen. It's good news because when we get there, they're going to know we're coming. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to show up. Peter's going to say, your ID? Yeah, here it is. My citizenship is in heaven. Right this way, sir. We've prepared a place for you. Jesus has been working on it all this time, amen. And, and understand, we are, you know, we're not citizens of New York, of the United States of America. Look, that's all temporary stuff. But eternally, we're citizens, we're citizens of heaven. We need to begin to think like that. That I'm just passing through. I'm not building my empire here. I'm not building my kingdom here. I'm not putting all my roots down here. I, I'm laboring for a better reward, for an eternal reward, for a heavenly reward. Amen? Stop being so focused on what's going on. Listen, if you focus on what's going on in our state and the immorality and the, and, the, and the wickedness of the government and abortion and all this stuff, I mean, you will be depressed so bad there's not enough pills they can put in you to make you smile. It's true. Oh, when's it going to get better? It might not. It might get worse and worse till Jesus takes his bride out of here. I'm not coming back. I didn't want to hear that. Well, it's a possibility. 
Well, while it's getting worse, you and I need to let our shine, light shine in the darkness. The good thing about the fact that it's getting darker is that our light is going to penetrate even more. And you and I should be winning those who are winnable for, to the kingdom of God. So the citizenship is in heaven. We've got a new citizenship. It came with our spiritual rebirth. Number two, the person who's spiritually authentic is anticipating the return of Christ. Look what it says here who are eagerly, did you hear that? Eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been talking about this a lot on Wednesday nights. We're doing eschatology. We're talking about the signs of Jesus' return. Listen, we need to be looking for the coming of Jesus. We need to be excited about the fact that Jesus is coming to get us one way or another. We're either going to die and go to be with him, or he's going to catch up the church and take us all with him on that day, amen. But he's coming for us. He hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't said, well, you guys blew it. You're on your own. No, we are the apple of his eye. He is focused on his bride, and he's going to come back to get his bride at one time. And we need to be looking for his coming, and we need to be excited about it. Eagerly, it says, eagerly. And like, oh, the Lord's coming back. I don't know. No, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, amen? The darker it gets, the more we look for his coming. Number three, we are reveling in our citizenship. We're looking for Jesus and hoping in him. We're not putting our hope in this world. And then lastly, we're looking forward to the promise of a new body. Look what it says here. Who will transform the body of our humble state. What's he talking about? He's talking about these bodies made of dust into conformity with the body of his glory. What's he talking about? A glorified body. You know, Scripture teaches when we die, we take this corruptible body off and put an incorruptible one, and we have a glorified body for eternity that doesn't get sick, that doesn't get hurt, that doesn't get cancer, that doesn't get diabetes, that doesn't break down, that doesn't need joint replacement. Come on. Amen? All the young people are like, nah, we like this one. This one's good, you know? You know, there's a time where you, maybe you, you could see all your abs. And then you get to an age where you need a team of exploratory surgeons to try and find your abs. Don't raise your hand, but you know which group you're in. And the older you get and the more you use this body for the glory of God, the more you are excited about the fact, I'm going to exchange this one that's breaking down for an eternal one, amen. And that's a promise that we should focus in on. Now, we are poisoned in our minds with the youth culture. You know, we immerse ourselves in it. It drives people. People spend billions of billions of dollars to try and maintain, to recapture, or to sustain their youthfulness. People have done crazy things like cryogenically try and freeze themselves. They just inject all kinds of stuff. I don't want to talk about it. And, and, you know, we're obsessed with this. Why? To maintain our youth. You know, and we need to ask God for the grace to grow old gracefully. But, you know, we fight it. And, you know, it's good to stay healthy. It's good to eat good. But, you know, we go to the extreme. We nip it and we tuck it. We cut it off. We suck it out. We rejuvenate it. We reconstruct it. But in the end, it's a losing battle because this is turning back to dust where it came from. Amen? But there's an eternal part of us that we're going to live with these these glorified bodies for eternity in the presence of God, with the angels of God, in the presence of Jesus Christ. No more pain, no more suffering, no more arthritis. You won't need Australian Dream or CBD oil. 
Some people look nervous. <laughs> Went through my medicine cabinet. I should have never invited him over. I'm just taking a stab. Maybe we should pay less attention to this outward man that's perishing and more attention to the inward man that day by day is being strengthened, amen? It's much better for us to get excited about the kingdom of God and the coming of Jesus and our heavenly home and our eternal state than it is to be so wrapped up in these bodies that are passing away. Real Christians are focused on eternity. Authentic Christians are focused on the coming of Jesus. Christians who are aware of their citizenship yearn to be with God rather than on this earth much longer. Let's bow our heads today. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for how Paul is focusing us. His life is winding down to an end here. He's lost his liberty. He's headed for martyrdom. The Romans are going to they're going to martyr him and he's beginning to realize it, God, but he maintains his joy because his hope is not on the things of this world, on, on the temporary pleasures and comforts of this world, even on his body being spared the suffering and, and the martyrdom. No, but he's focused on eternal things and he's able to maintain his joy. I pray for each one within the sound of my voice today. If you're here and you say, you know, how can I be an example? How can I be connected to Jesus? How can I be forgiven? All of this begins when we come to Jesus and accept him personally as Savior and Lord. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. He made it so simple. It's a free gift that comes from a decision of our will. The Holy Spirit, he's tugging this morning. If he's tugging at you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to come to Christ to confess him as Savior and Lord. You say, what will happen if I do that? He'll forgive your sin. He'll settle your eternity. You'll be on your way to heaven. He'll make you a child of God. He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and protect you and preserve you all the days of your life until you fall into his arms. You say, that sounds like an awesome deal. What does it cost? It doesn't cost us anything. Jesus paid the cost of it with his own blood on the cross, and he offers it freely to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. If you want a clean slate and a fresh start, if you want to be forgiven, if you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you want to accept him as Savior, raise your hand today. How many people would say, I want Jesus to be the Savior of my soul, the Lord of my life? God bless you today. God bless you. Ushers, put packets in their hand. God bless you today. God bless you today. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Today we're going to as your as ushers are putting something in your hand, let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize you're the Savior, and I confess I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins, and be my Savior, and be my Lord. From this moment forward, I belong to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and give me the power to live a different life. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says if you just made that decision this morning, the angels of heaven are rejoicing. So let's rejoice with them, amen. <laughs> Praise God, amen. You might be thinking, well, what can raising your hand in church do like that, answering a, you know, an altar call? Listen, when I was 14 years old, I raised my hand to an altar call in this very church, and I haven't left since. So, I mean... <laughs>
God can take your life and transform it, and all you got to do is just run after him, seek him. Stay in a place that teaches the Bible. Forget about religion. Work on your relationship, and God will keep you until that day he calls you home. Welcome to the family of God today. Amen.